Genesis chapter 12 this morning. I'd like to be in reading in verse number 9. Word of God says, And Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. And there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. And it came to pass, when he was come near to enter into Egypt, that he said unto Sarai, his wife, Behold now, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore it shall come to pass, when the Egyptians shall see thee, that they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. And it came to pass that when Abram was come into Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman, that she was very fair. The princes also of Pharaoh saw her and commended her before Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And he entreated Abram well for her sake. And he had sheep and oxen and he asses and men servants and maid servants and she asses and camels. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Why didst thou not tell me that she was thy wife? Why saidest thou she is my sister? So I might have taken her to me to wife. Now therefore behold thy wife, take her and go thy way. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away and his wife and all that he had. Look with me in chapter 13. And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. And he went on his journeys from the south, even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Hai, unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Let's read those last two verses once more, and then we'll pray. The Bible says, And he went on his journeys from the south, even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Hai, unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, we give you the praise, honor, and glory for this time that you have allowed us to gather here. Help us to take it seriously. And Father, help us to have our hearts surrendered to the moving and working of the Holy Spirit. Now, Lord, you know each heart here, and you know what each heart needs. And Father, I pray that you would specifically deal with each and every heart and life in this building, Lord, beginning with me and reaching even to everyone that is gathered here under the sound of my voice. Now, Father, we know that we wouldn't be able to do that, but Lord, we know you are able. And we're no, we know that we're not asking anything that's too hard for you. So, Father, we do ask it in faith, and we ask it, Lord, that you might be exalted, that the name of Christ might be lifted up. Father, we love you this morning, and we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. As we read in Genesis chapter number 12, we read of the journeys of Abraham. Now, here in our text, he's not known as Abraham, but rather Abram. But his walk of faith has just begun in the beginning of chapter number 12. We find an interesting progression here. You know, there are times in our Christian life that we find ourselves going forward, and there's times in our Christian life that we find that we've gone backwards. But sometimes we find that the way forward in our lives is to go backwards. Sometimes that we go backwards in order to go forwards. Such is the case before us in the life of Abraham. In fact, what we see in Abraham's life is we see him going forward because he went backwards. And you confused yet? Amen? You know, it sort of reminds me of a memo that 
was written that I jotted down here from marketing to sales at a department store. Some of you may have got some of these. It, it reads this way. It says, sales and income figures show an easing up of the rate at which business is easing off. This can be taken as ample proof of the government's contention that there's a slowing up of the slowdown. Now, to clarify that, it should be noted that a slowing up of the slowdown is not as good as an upturn in the downturn. On the other hand, it's a good deal better than either a speed up of the slowdown or a deepening of the downturn. Also, it suggests that the climate is about right for an adjustment of the readjustment to rate structures. Now, turning specifically to rates, we find a very definite decrease in the rate of increase. This clearly shows there should be a letting up of the letdown. Of course, if the slowdown should speed up, the decrease in the rate of increase rate would in turn an increase in the rate of decrease. And finally, the inflation of the recession would turn the recession into a depression, while a deflation in the rate of inflation would give the impression of a recession in the depression. Sounds like a few government news articles that we've heard. What I mean to say is this. As we travel in the journey of the Christian walk, there are times when the only way forward is to go backwards. Can I give you, for instance, you head down the wrong path, the only way to get on the right path is to go around and go back to the place where you went off the right path. We always want to be moving forward, and I understand that sentiment. But the truth is, there are times in our life when we have to go back to decision points. And we have to make things right. I think often about Peter when the Lord called him to go out into the deep. And Peter began that journey. The Lord said, I want you to thrust out a little ways from the land. After he had done that, the Lord had sort of commandeered his boat and talked for a little while. The Lord said, go out a little deeper now, Peter. I've got a lesson for you. But if Peter hadn't obeyed in thrusting out a little from the land, he would have never got to go out into deeper waters. Now, sometimes in our life, there are things that can become hindrances. There are things that, though they may be uh, hitching posts, they ought not become tombstones and stopping points in our life. In the life of Abraham, we find out that his journey of faith is rather young. But early on in his walk of faith, he takes a wrong turn and heads to Egypt. And he spends some time down there. We might say it's wasted time, although the Lord always brings all things together for good. But in his life, we find that this is most definitely a wrong decision and one that has to be correct. We're told in verse number 4 or verse number 3 of chapter 13 that things finally turned around for Abraham when what? When he got back to the place at the beginning. You know, some of us, we could look at certain points and times in our life and we could mark the tragedies and disasters and wrongdoings of our life back to that very specific point. A place in our life where we made a conscious decision to step out of the will of God. And let me say this, that any decision to step out of the will of God is a conscious decision. You say, preacher, are you telling me people don't make mistakes? Sure, people make mistakes. You know, if you look at the life of Paul, you find some mistakes that he made in the book of Acts. You find some bad decisions that he, that he made. And in fact, maybe if he had listened to the Lord, he wouldn't have wound up in a Roman prison because he was there because he appealed unto Caesar because he was going to Jerusalem, which the Lord had told him never to do. But it all began with a distinct and deliberate decision that Paul made. The Lord made clear to Paul that he wasn't to go to Jerusalem. You know what he said? He said, none of these things moved me. Now, I, I know you've heard preachers preach on that verse. And there may have even been times, I don't know, I don't know of one, but it may be if I went back through my notes I've even preached on, that we talk about that verse and we say, hey, what a, what a discipline, what a determination Paul had when he said, none of these things moved me. But do you realize that one of the things he was talking about was the direct and explicit command of God? 
God had told Paul, do not go to Jerusalem. And it had several people along his pathway that said, Paul, you don't need to go to Jerusalem. And he said, I'm going one way or the other. He did make that decision. He stepped out of the will of God. If you, listen, if you don't agree with me, that's all right. We'll get to heaven. You'll find out. <laughs> he made a deliberate decision to step out of the will of God. Then he made lots of mistakes. And, you know, when you step out of the will of God and He's no longer directing your path, you make lots of mistakes. But that first step out of the will of God is a decision that we make deliberately. And we find this in Abraham's life. He makes a decision to step out of the will of God. And it begins, as many Bible stories do, with a famine in the land. Verse number 10 says this, And there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. We see first off the famine that was distressing. Now, it's interesting when this famine takes place. You'll find that there are about 13 famines in the Word of God, and every single one of them is the judgment of God. But we find that in Abraham's life, this came at a time when he was uh, in an unusual way in tune with the Lord. In fact, I want you to notice the where of this famine. Where did it take place? It took place in Canaan. Canaan was the will of God for Abraham's life. Somebody say amen right there. It was the place that God had called him to be. Let me say that sometimes even when we're in the place that God wants us to be, famines still come. Listen, don't think just because you're serving God that hard times don't happen to you. I, I hate to break it to you, but there hath not, no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. We all have trials. We all have temptations. And I don't listen, I don't mean this in an ugly way. And the Lord knows my heart, and I hope you know it too. I don't mean this in an ugly way. But you're having hard times. Well, welcome to the club. That's part of the human experience. We all have difficult times. You may be right smack dab in the middle of the will of God, and a famine may still show up. We find the where of this famine. He was in the place of God's will. We find the when of this famine. He was at the point of God's will. Now, Abram had been a Syrian ready to perish, the Bible calls. He had been raised, as far as we believe, in pagan darkness. He had had no concept of who the true God was. And God speaks to him one day and says, Abraham, I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave your home. I want you to leave everything and step out in faith and follow me. Now, what a radical request that was. Now, there's nothing God could ask of us but what it's owed to Him. But, I mean, hey, that's a lot to ask. I don't know that you or I, we've been ever asked to do anything quite that extreme. I mean, most of us, the Lord asks us to witness to somebody, and we start bowing up on God. But the Lord spoke to Abraham and said, I want you to turn your back on everything, leave everything behind, and step out in faith. After a little coercing and correction, you know what? Abraham obeyed. And he stepped out in faith to follow God. And then the famine came. Listen, if I've seen it happen once, I've seen it happen a hundred times. People make up their mind, either they get saved by the grace of God, or people that were already saved that make up their minds to serve God. And no sooner do they get up from the altar, but tragedy shows up. I remember one year, back when I was a youth pastor, we used to take kids to a camp up in Kentucky. And we had, we had took a group of kids up there, and there was a young man... Uh, on the bus, and, and this young man, he loved the Lord. God really did a work in his heart that week. I mean, he had, he had made some decisions, and God had gained some ground. We rode back the long bus ride from Somerset back down to Knoxville, and we got, we pulled into the church, and uh, I stepped off the bus, and his mother was waiting right there. 
I stepped off the bus and I, I walked up and I approached her and I said, Hello, Miss So-and-so, how are you? And she said, Well, I'm doing okay, but listen, I wanted to catch you before my son got off the bus because I wanted to let you know me and his daddy were getting a divorce and I'm just getting ready to tell him. Man, I mean, that kid, he had just got up off the altar that week. He had surrendered his heart, surrendered his life to follow God and to do the will of God. You say, Preacher, all the problems are supposed to end. No, I don't know who told you that. I find this, that when you... Uh, give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. When you surrender your entire will to His, that's when the battle starts. You may be here and say, Preacher, I, I made my mind up to start serving God and things got worse. Well, that's normal. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing hath happened unto you. The fact of the matter is, the devil's not too upset about it when you're living for Him. When you make your mind up to live for the Lord Jesus Christ, then He's got a new enemy to fight. And it paints a target upon your back, and you better get ready. We see the when of this famine. We see the where of this famine. But I want you to notice the why of this famine. Now, trials come into believers' lives for one of two reasons. And we mentioned this, I think, on Wednesday night, that there are basically two kinds of of trials and difficulties that come into the believer's life. There are trials of correction. Sometimes when we're out of the will of God, God has to get our attention. Has that ever happened to you? That's happened to me. Somebody help me now. Has that ever happened to you? That's happened to me. There's been a few times. You may be a little bit more obedient than me, but I have trouble sometimes. There's been times that God has had to put me on my back just so I'd look up to heaven and recognize Him. And then there are trials of perfection. Times when we're not out of the will of God... But God allows things to take place in our life so that they will draw us closer to Him. Such was the famine in the life of Abraham. I have no doubt that God was probably judging many people through this famine, but I don't believe Abraham was one of them. I believe Abraham had made his mind up to follow God, and God saw some things that were in his life that needed to be purged and got rid of. In fact, one of the things you'll find as you study the life of Abraham is that when he stepped out, he still had Lot with him. God had told Abraham, you leave all of your family. Some have said, well, Lot went with him. He didn't go with Lot, whatever. You can believe what you want to. But Lot wound up in Sodom and Gomorrah, got took captive by the five kings in the Vale of Siddim, and Abraham had to go and rescue him. And then Lot lost his wife. I'd say this, that if there's ever anybody in the Bible that went out of the will of God, it was Lot. And maybe it was that God was trying to put some things out of Abraham's life. Here's the grand and beautiful truth. God did have a purpose in it. The purpose, listen, was not to derail Abraham. The purpose was to dedicate Abraham. The purpose was not to destroy him and set him off to the side. The purpose was to draw him closer. Let me say this, that famines that come in our life, difficulties, trials that come in our life, they have one of two consequences. They're either going to bitter us or better us. We have the choice. They'll either become a wedge that keeps us from God or they'll become a chain that tethers us closer and draws us closer to the heart of an almighty God. You have a choice in that matter. I have a choice in that matter. When we come to trials and difficulties, how are we going to approach them? How are we going to freedom. What are we going to do with them? We spend all our time asking how we can get out of this when we ought to be asking what we can get out of this. We spend all of our time trying to look for an escape when we ought to be trying to look for the experience that God has for us. Abraham goes through this famine and we see this famine that is distressing. But then I want you to notice a failure that is disturbing. Abraham is like a lot of us. He failed at this test of faith. 
I wish I could tell you that every test of faith that God has ever put me through, I have always moved through it with flying colors. And I could tell you that. I'm probably not the first Baptist preacher to lie, but I'm not going to tell you that because it wouldn't be true. It wouldn't be true. I've had failures in my life. I've done things wrong. Abraham fails this test that is in front of him. We know this because we see four things happen in his life. Notice first off the departure that he made. Look back at verse number 8. The Bible says this, "...and he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west, and Hai on the east, and there he built an altar unto the Lord, and called upon the name of the Lord." Now, I don't know if you're aware, but this is a significant time in Abraham's life. This altar tells us a few things. One, tells us that Abraham knows he's found the will of God. He's been traveling, but now he builds an altar. It tells you that Abraham seeks a relationship with God because you don't build an altar except to get closer to the Lord. And it tells you that Abraham was willing to surrender his life to the Lord because you build an altar for things to be sacrificed on. This place, Bethel, by the way, uh, when his grandson would pass by this way, uh, God would meet with him here at Bethel. And that name Bethel literally means the house of God. At this time in Abraham's life, it was probably called Luz, which means separation. But to him, it's not Luz. To him, it's not separation. To him, it's the place where he can meet with God. It's the place where God can meet with him. It is a distinct foundational and fellowship point in his life. And then the famine comes, and he leaves it. The Bible doesn't tell us he built an altar in Egypt. Listen carefully. We don't build altars in Egypt. You know Egypt in the Bible is a picture of sin in the world. This actually, interestingly enough, is the first mention of Egypt in the Bible. And it sets, if you understand the rule of first mention as you interpret and study the Word of God, you know that any time something is mentioned for the first time, the characteristics that are given in that passage generally carry through every instance and occasion of it in the Bible. And the first time that we see Egypt in the Bible, it's a believer leaving the will of God. He departed from the place where he met with the Lord. Let me say this, that when trials come, you know what the devil... It always amazes me. When things get tough, people get out of church, out of the Bible, and out of the prayer closet. Let me tell you something. If there's ever a time in your life that you need the house of God, if there was ever a time in your life when you need the Word of God, and if there was ever a time in your life when you needed the prayer closet, if you ever needed an altar, it's when the famine shows up. It tells us, it gives us an understanding about our perception of the things of God when we leave them, when things get difficult. It tells us this, that we see the word of the things of God as being an optional thing instead of being a necessity of something that is a help but not a necessity. Abraham, things get tough and he leaves. He leaves the house of God. He leaves the place of God. And listen, I'm not fussing at you. I know. I know the devil comes along and he says, well, you need to get out of that place. They're going to judge you or they're going to make it difficult on you or you just don't have time or things are too tough right now or uh, your head wouldn't be in it or your heart wouldn't be in it. But he's a liar from the beginning. I'm saying that when things get tough, you need the people of God. You need the house of God. You need the Word of God. You've got to have it. It's our life's breath. It's the blood that flows through our vein, the fellowship that we have one with another. You say, well, preacher, I just worship in my own way. Well, that's your problem. You don't get nowhere worshiping in your own way. You've got to worship God's way. And what's God's way? God said, forsake not the assembly of yourselves together as the manner of some is. 
See, the, the truth is this. The devil's trying to get you out because he knows if he can get you out, he can keep you out. He knows if you leave in the famine, you won't ever come back when it's fruitful and he'll make a shipwreck of your life. We see the departure that took place, but then we see the destination he was going to. He wound up in Egypt. Now, we've already touched on it a little bit, but isn't it interesting that he is in, the, he is in Bethel. He's in the place of, of milk and honey. He's in the place where God said, if you'll go there, Abraham, I'll meet your every need. And he leaves there and goes to Egypt to have his needs met. Can I just let you in on a little secret? If you're not satisfied with Jesus Christ, there's nothing else that will satisfy you. Why didn't Abraham stay? God would have fed him if he had just stayed. We find another time in Scripture when a famine shows up. God had a man in the land, and he sent Elijah by the brook Kareth, and he said, if you'll stay there, drink of the brook, I'll feed you twice a day. I'll send ravens by. Now, you and I, were too good for that, you know. <laughs> I don't know if I'd eat something come out of a raven's mouth. I guess if the Lord had brought it to me, I would, but I don't know. We, we'd be trying to squirt hand sanitizer or something on it. The Lord said, I'll feed you by the ravens. Let me tell you something. A famine, a famine is no obstacle to God. And whatever you're going through, it don't even make God break a sweat. I mean, you with me? Preacher, you don't know what I'm going through. I don't have to know what you're going through. I know God's bigger than what you're going through. Say, preacher, you don't know what it's like. I don't have to know what it's like. I know there's one that's been touched with the feelings of our infirmities. And he knows what it's like. Don't run. Don't flee. Don't bail on God. Don't jump ship. Just hang tight. God will feed you in a famine. He's able. He's done it before. But instead, he goes to Egypt to be fed. He gets there and he finds this out. That he ain't got a food problem, but he's got a fellowship problem when he gets there. He gets there and the people don't operate the way that he operates. And he winds up lying. We see this. And by the way, let me tell you something. You won't ever go to Egypt, but it'll, it won't be long before you'll be living in sin. Why we think we can live in the world and not be of the world, I don't know. The truth of the matter is, the Bible says this in the book of James, that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Now, sometimes, listen, and, and I know he goes on, he says, whosoever therefore be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. But do you understand what that word enmity means? It does mean to be an enemy of, and, and James amplifies on that through the rest of the verse. But you know what that word literally signifies? It has the idea of a fly in the ointment, of a wedge in between, of a place of contention. You know what the Bible is saying? That friendship with the world will be a wedge between you and God. And it won't be long. Oh, you may just be going toward the south, but it won't be long you'll be going into the south. You may just be, going to, you may just be pitching your tent toward Sodom, but it won't be long you'll be sitting in the gate of the city. And he goes down into Egypt and he gets there, and I don't know, evidently Sarah was a looker. <laughs> She's 65 years old at this time. That can give some of you ladies hope, amen? But she's 65 years old, and evidently she was a good-looking woman. Abraham says to her, says, Now listen, when we get down in Egypt, you're so beautiful that when they see you, if they know you're my wife, they'll kill me so that they can take you to be their wife. And he says to her this. I've always been interested by this. Look at verse number 12. Therefore it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see thee, that they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister. Which, by the way, you know that was a half-truth. Sarah was his half-sister. And you know a half-truth makes a whole lie, 
Right? A half-truth makes a whole lie. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. Isn't that interesting? He says, Sarah, I'm looking to you to keep me alive. That wasn't fair to Sarah, was it? Oh my, listen now, this isn't even my message. But you listen to what I'm about to say. Daddies, when you get out of the will of God, it puts undue pressure on your home. Mamas, when you get out of the will of God, it puts undue pressure on your home. You know why? Because you get dissatisfied with Jesus, and then you want your spouse to satisfy what nobody can satisfy. You get discontented with Him, and then you wonder why your spouse is not satisfying to you. Let me tell you something. <laughs> That's a burden nobody can bear. I learned in our, in our marriage, we went through a, through a trying time. And uh, everybody in this room knows, I'm not telling anything that's secret, that we, we had went through a miscarriage and lost a baby. And Man, I, I did what husbands do. I was going to fix it, you know. And it was tough. I mean, it, it, it's, if you've not been through it, you don't know what it's like. But if you've been through it, you know exactly what it's like. And when we went through that, I, you know, it, it was more difficult. I'm a pragmatist. It was more difficult in some ways, I think, on my wife than it, than it was on me. And I, as a husband, you know, you just want to fix it. You just want whatever it is, you just want to fix it. Because we're men and we're superheroes and we can do everything. And somebody's, you know, and I tried every which way to fix it. She's going through heartbreak and heartache, you know. And, and I, mean, I, I mean, I tried being there for her. But here's the problem. I didn't know what she was going through. Right? I didn't. I could tell her I did, but that was a lie. I didn't know what she was going through. I, I, I tried, you know, just, just being sweet. And, and then I tried, you know, tough love. Why is it? Man, let me give you a memo. Tough love don't never work. Somebody say amen. You know? I don't mean ugly, but just, you know, all right, honey, it's, you know, we got to move on. I mean, we, we can't, you know, we can't let this bury us. We, you know, we got to get up. We got we to gotta move. And that didn't work. That didn't work. You know why? Because guess what? Telling people to get over it don't get them over it. And then I tried just doing nothing. You know, that's what, that's what the, the best advice I can give you is this. Just don't do nothing. Just don't do nothing. Just be, be nice, be kind, buy cake and ice cream and flowers and, and don't do nothing. And you know what I found out? That didn't fix it either. You know what God taught me? God taught me I couldn't fix it. Only He could fix it. I couldn't fix that broken heart. Only He could fix that broken heart. You know what God showed me? God showed me this. Like it or not, men, you are not the all in all. Because there's only one that can be the all in all. If, if Christ is not your wife's everything, or if Christ is not your husband's everything, then there's nothing you can do to make it right or to satisfy. There's no substitute for a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're that person that's out of the will of God or that person that is struggling, don't look to your spouse to fix it all. Because there's only one person that can satisfy completely and sufficiently. You know what Abraham did? He said, all right, we're stepping out of the will of God. And Sarah, it's on you to keep this thing afloat. Pretty soon things fell apart. And you know what happened? Pharaoh sees her. Again, she's a looker evidently. says, I want to marry her. 
and she's your sister, takes her into his house, and God begins to send plagues upon Pharaoh and upon his household. I don't know how. I don't know if somebody told him. I don't know if he's just smart enough to figure it out. But in some way, he understands that Abraham has lied to him and that Sarah must be his wife. And he goes to Abraham and he says this, Abraham, why did you not just tell me? Why didn't you just tell me? And he sends Abraham away. Can you imagine the disgrace that Abraham experienced? John Philip said it this way, that all in all, Pharaoh the pagan cut a finer figure than Abraham the believer. When Abraham should have been a testimony, listen, when he should have been a light in Egypt, he was a burden in Egypt. When he could have been a testimony, he was trouble. Let me tell you something. When a believer gets out of the will of God, he does more damage than he can good. Part of the reason with this philosophy of, of going and, and, you know, having church in the bars and going out and, and living like the world and doing things whatever way to try to get the message out. You know what the message is conveyed? The message that is conveyed is that there's no difference between the bar house and the church house. Let me tell you something. We do live in this world. I'm aware that we do. And we better understand that we have a testimony to maintain. And we better understand that people are watching us. You'd be amazed how much damage a Christian out of the will of God can do. There's no telling how many families have been destroyed. No telling how many churches have been destroyed. No telling how many lost people have turned away. Let me tell you something. If I had been Pharaoh, if I had been Pharaoh, I wouldn't have wanted anything to do with the God of Abraham. I wonder how many people have looked at us and said, if that's what a Christian is, it don't interest me. He leaves and he walks in in sin and he walks out in shame. And disgrace has covered him. But you know what the beautiful thing is? The story doesn't end here for Abraham. It's good to know that our failures are not final. And they need not be fatal. We can come back to God. You may be here today and you may say, Hey man, preacher, I've messed up. I mean, I've sinned. I've done wrong. You don't have to stay in Egypt. Abraham didn't stay in Egypt. He had gone a few miles down the wrong path. God shows him and he makes a change. Look with me in chapter 13 again. We see here Abraham's path out of Egypt. In chapter 12 and verse 9, we see Abraham going toward the south. In chapter 13 and verse 1, we see him going into the south. And in chapter 13, verse 3, we see finally, the Bible says, and he went on his journeys from the south. Just because you've lived wrong, that don't mean you have to stay wrong. Just because you messed up, that don't mean you have to stay messed up. We preached last week out of Second Samuel or First Samuel chapter twelve, where Samuel says, "Yet turn not aside from following the Lord." Listen, you may be here today. You may be just as broken in two as it comes. You may have made mistakes, or guess what? You may be just one step down the wrong path. But listen, it doesn't matter if you're just one step or if you're half a world down the wrong path. There's still a way to get back to God. You don't have to stay in that condition. And Abraham shows us two things that are required, two or three things. I want you to notice, first off, there was a renunciation of where he had been. When it says that he went from the south, you know what it's saying? It's saying he left Egypt. Let me tell you something. Things couldn't be right until he acknowledged he had been wrong. He would have never left Egypt if he hadn't known that Egypt was the wrong place for him to be. You know what a lot of Christians want today? They want to be right with God and right with the world at the same time. 
But it doesn't work that way. If you want to get right with God, you've got to acknowledge that where you've been is wrong. You've got to acknowledge that Egypt is no place for a believer. You've got to acknowledge that the world has nothing for you. And you know what it's saying when he went out of Egypt? He's saying, I've had as much as Egypt as I can take. And I don't want it anymore. Some folks don't get right with God because they're not sick of the world yet. Let me tell you something. You ever get sick of the world, you'll find your way back to God. We see a renunciation of where he had been. We see a return to where he had left. The Bible says he went back to the place at the beginning. You know where you're going to find God? Just where you left him. Just where you left him. You'll find You know where he found him? He still found him right there at Bethel. He still found him. God hadn't gone anywhere. I mean, when he let nobody come along and tore the altar down. I mean, God had watched over that place. And he finds this. When he gets back, there's still an altar to go to. Let me tell you something. You may be 5, 10, 15, 20 steps away, and there's still an altar for you to go back to. There's still an altar to go back to. There's still a place. It's not too late. <laughs> it's not too late. You say, I messed up, preacher. Well, that's what an altar's for. That's what an altar's for. You say, preacher, I've made mistakes. Well, that's why God forgives. Is because we make mistakes. You're going to have to go back to the place where you walked away from Him. Maybe there's a decision you made in your life. Still a wedge between you and God. Maybe it was a decision uh, to step out into sin. Or maybe it was just a decision to step out away from God's leading. But whatever it may be, you know what you've got to do? Go back to that decision. You say, but preacher, I can't remember every single... No, I'm not talking about every single one. I'm talking about that one. And you know what that one is. If you have one, you know what it is. That place of departure from walking in fellowship with the Lord and walking in the will of God. Go back to that place and make that right. Lord, I'm sorry I sinned. I'm sorry I fought you. I'm sorry I rebelled. God, forgive me. Go back to the place where you left. And then we see a response to the person that he left. You know what happened when he got there? The Bible says he called on the name of the Lord. Wasn't nothing new he learned down in Egypt that he could do. It was just the same old, same old. There ain't nothing new, and there ain't nothing that you don't know what to do. It's just a matter of whether you're willing to do it or not. There ain't no new trick that you have to learn. You just get to the altar, call on the name of the Lord, respond in obedience to the working of the Holy Spirit. And you know what you find? You find he, here he is. He's back at the beginning. He's lost some time. He's lost his testimony, but he's not lost his relationship with the Lord. God was right where he left him. But Abraham could have never made it right if he hadn't been willing to go backwards to the place where he had made that mistake. Maybe you're here today and you'd say, Preacher, I want that in my life. I know I've been doing wrong. I know I've been living wrong. Hey, it might just be a day or two. It might be just a week or two. It might be a year or two. Or it might be your whole life that you've lived out of the will of God. But it's not too late. You're here today under the sound of my voice. As God has spoken to your heart, you have the opportunity to go back to that place and have your fellowship with the Lord restored in sweet communion.